Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I love these weeks when Dr. Smith is here with me in the studio, and we're introducing a great preacher, past or present. Well, this is a present preacher. He's still living and still active in ministry, Dr. A. Lewis Patterson, Jr. He has been the pastor of the Mount Corinth Baptist Church in Houston for over 36 years, a tremendous orator out of the African-American tradition, but he is a great preacher. And we're going to hear a sermon he delivered at the E.K. Bailey Expository Preaching Conference several years ago. Now, I'm sure you know Dr. Patterson, Dr. Smith. Oh, yes, definitely. And tell us a little bit about him and then this sermon we're going to hear. Well, Dr. Patterson is a preacher's preacher, has a long tenure at his church, the Mount Corinth Church in Houston, Texas. Here is a preacher who is aware of his context. He adapts to his context. And he's preaching a sermon based on just one verse, 2 Kings 4, 9. Look, I am sure that the man who regularly passes our way is a holy man of God. So he's preaching to the preachers who are there. And the title of his sermon is The Bottom Line. And he opens up his sermon by quoting the uh, founder of the E.K. Bailey Conference on Expositive Preaching, Dr. E.K. Bailey. There is a way that seemeth right to the young preacher, but the end thereof uh, is to be put out. So he is dealing with this idea of why do people want you to hang around like um, this woman in this text and her husband wanted uh, this prophet to hang around? How do you have a ministry of longevity? The structure around which he builds his sermon really is an alliterative structure, appraisal that this is this person is holy, uh, acknowledgement that this person is human, a man, and then allegiance this is, this person is of God, a holy man of God. So here is a person who uses alliteration uh, without trying to use alliteration. And here's an individual who walks through the structure of the text. And I think what he does here, Dean, Dean George, is to exegete the text and then to provide uh, some kind of uh, contemporary application to it, and he does this all the way through so that he doesn't reserve the application for the end. It's woven throughout the exegesis as he walks through the text. Yeah. Now, as we listen to Dr. A. Lewis Patterson preach this sermon, you will notice the idiom in which he speaks, and particularly, it's very evident, the call and response. Absolutely. That's a part of the African-American preaching tradition. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Well, what's taking place is he is appealing to their level of familiarity. So he will argue from silence. where the text does not explicitly say something, he'll say something to this extent. In fact, he does say this. What this woman was not impressed with. She was not impressed with the prophet's skillful sermonizing. She was not impressed with the prophet's sensational singing. She was not impressed with the prophet's serious scholarship. And he's so not what the text does him. not say. Exactly. <laughs> and, and yet he knows that that's what uh, some of the preachers there are majoring on. Skillful sermonis, sermonizing, yeah. sensational singing, yeah. serious scholarship. And what she was impressed with, he says, is 
the prophet's character. Yeah, it's ho- the call to holiness. Exactly. Yeah. And then the congregation gets into this. They are with him. They exactly. are responding to his message. And you hear that throughout the sermon, I think. It's one of the uh, distinctive things about this message we're going to hear. Well, let's, let's go to the E.K. Bailey Expository Preaching Conference held in Dallas, Texas, and we're listening to Dr. A. Lewis Patterson, Jr. I want to spend these few minutes on a verse that's been bubbling and burning and bursting to be broadcast for since the invitation to come. And I'd like to read that verse in your hearing and then examine it in your presence. And it's in the crispy section of your Bible. Second Kings, the fourth chapter. Second Kings, the fourth chapter. And rather than read the entire context, I will lift out verse nine. You pray as I read. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive this is an holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let me read it again. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Our Father and our God, we thank you for being the God of creation, the God of redemption, the God of history, the God of the contemporary scene. What you choose to do here tonight, we now live anticipatorily and basking in the glow of what you will choose to do. In the name of Jesus, amen and thank God. You may be seated. (laughs) Dr. E.K. Bailey made a statement in the opening session, and I hope to quote it accurately. He said, there is a way that seemeth right to the young preacher. But the end thereof is to be put out. (laughs) Here is a text. Listen to this. Here is a text where the observer of the prophet wanted him to hang around. When, when they, when she observed, when she perceived, uh, I will not make it to the next verse, but I'll throw in parenthetically. She said, we ought to do something for this prophet. She said, incidentally, she said to her husband, said, we ought to uh, create a little place on the wall. Now, we all know that you don't literally live on a wall, 
That's a Hebraic idiomatic expression that suggests a place of protection and provisions. She said, we ought to build him a little place where he will be protected. And we ought to put in that place necessities. There, there ought to be in that place a bed. That's the very next verse. And there ought to be a, a lamp and a stool. In fact, let's just build him a chamber. Because we want him to hang around. We, we, we don't want to put him out. As a matter of fact, we don't even want him to leave. And the thing that encourages me, encourages me about this text is not many of us, <laughs> not many of us will ever be visionaries with academic excellence to go along with it like the leader of this conference. At the risk of being redundant, most of us can literally be classified in that five-fold category when he called us. Weak, foolish, base, despised, and certainly not yet. <laughs> and yet, the thing I love about God is when he called me, limited in gift and feeble in talent, he was thinking about me. And, and when he let me grow up 51 miles east of Austin, 11 miles north of Taylor, 5 miles south of Bartlett, and 7 miles west of Friendship without a library that they would let us use. My daddy would buy the San Antonio Evening News and spread it out on the table and said, now read it. He was teaching me something. Somebody ought to hear me tonight. Yeah, down at the Jordan, in the valley. On my way. And there's somebody here tonight feeling a little bit intimidated because of men like these. That may be why God chose to have him let me come also. So that he can demonstrate that it's the availability and not the ability. It's, it's his power and not somebody ought to hear me. Our personality. So I, I thought what happens when we come in contact with these strange congregations and what are they looking for? You know there are all kinds of congregations. Some of us have to deal with uh, dry, dead, non-responsive congregations like Ezekiel had to deal with. In other words, when he looked out he saw dry bones. Others of us have to deal with congregations that uh, 
describe themselves as being a part of the intelligentsia. They'll remind you that they have gone up on Mars Hill. On beyond the Acropolis, on up beyond the Areopagus. And how do we handle that? When we have, there are others who are so socially minded that the only thing they want to do is feed 5,000. There are hostile congregations like the one at Jerusalem that the only thing they want to do is stone the prophets. What, what is it that would cause a woman to say, we want to keep him around? What is it, what ingredient is it that, that is available to every last one of us? You, you may not have your PhD or D men or masters or div and you may not even have your BS, you may not have high school. What, what happens in a case like that? Well, the text certainly helps us out. I want to dust off the biblical pages of history and rethread my way back across the vast wilderness of time and stand by faith listening over the shoulder of this woman. And, and I admire this woman. I want to appreciatively applaud this woman. And the reason I want to do that is because of the way the verse opens. The verse says, she said to her husband. Did you catch that? She didn't go straight to the preacher. It, it, it appears to me that she has this hierarchical arrangement structure. She said, the first thing I better do is chat it over with sweetheart. But that's not what really grabs me in the text. She, she said, you know, sweetheart, this prophet has been coming by here continually. And she said, I, I've been keeping an eye on him. Matter of fact, she said, behold. And behold is a word that carries with it at its semantic core, binocular overtones. It, it literally means to, to put the binoculars up and shut out periphery activities. and examine with close, concentrated scrutiny. And, and she said, I have, I have discovered something. She said, I have discovered that he is an holy man of God. You, you know what gripped me about that? There was no contradiction from the husband.
There was no locker room talk to contradict the appraisal of the conclusion. So evidently the brother is a holy man of God. I'm not to the text yet that I want to deal with. I want to deal with the B section. But, but let me make two or three statements about what did not impress her. See, I run the risk of pursuing shadows and following after, you know, lies all of my life. And then come down to the end and hear the steady march of the chariot wheels from the sky and draw in my nets and nothing be in them. Conspicuously mixing in the text is the is idea that she was impressed with his skillful sermonizing. It, I, I reread it on my knees just before I came out here. It's not in there. And I know some of us that have we have hermeneutical integrity and we have homiletical structure. In fact, we have alluring alliteration. Unfortunately, nobody wants us around. It, it, it was not his sensational singing gift. Some of us can take our voice and throw it up in the balcony. Wrap it around a pew and bring it back down the center aisle. And cause it to stand at attention and say, up, two, three, four. But it's not in the text. So some of us can hit a high C greater than Johnny Mathis. But that's not the alluring factor when we pass by. How, how about uh, something else that's not in the text? She was not impressed with his uh, serious scholarship. He, he may, as a friend of mine, preached for a friend of mine, and he had his alphabets. They ran off of the front page of the bulletin. They had a little arrow out there that said, see backside. Yo, I wish I had time to talk about this. Now, you know we have to have it. I'm deeply impressed with people who have exhibited a discipline to pursue academic excellence, but it's not the final criteria. No, it's not that. She didn't mention that. Ah, one other thing, and I'd like, I have about 20, but one other thing. She was not impressed with his stylish, suave. She didn't count how many buttons was on his jacket. <laughs> Some of us spend more time 
on fashions than we do the faith. <laughs> but unfortunately, she was not impressed with that. Now, what I want to share with us tonight, listen, God has, God has made available to every last preacher that he ever called. Every last preacher that he ever called what to win with. And it's available to every last one of us. You know, Peter did come straight from the preaching boat. Paul came from the halls of academia, but he did use both. Now what I want to share with you in the brief allotted time that I have, it will do four things for you if you will receive it as God's word. Respond to it in your own heart and then rush out, appreciatively applauding God for having made it available to us. First thing that it will do, it will free you from the pressure of coveting and copying and counterfeiting and seeking to create what is not your gift. We ought not live under that pressure. You know, I sat there and, and heard Bailey say, I got a feeling everything is gonna, and I started investigating again, you know. <laughs> But this will free you. But it will also let you function with productivity because you'll be using what God gave you. Then it'll let you focus with purpose because you won't be gallivanting all over time. And then you'll be fulfilled personally because God blesses what he creates. Genesis, the first chapter, the 27th verse, there is a word in that bara in the Hebrew, create, and the very next verse, the word is barak, said he blessed. He blesses what he creates. See, God made each one of us an individual, but unfortunately, many of us will simply die as carbon copies. Let me, let me examine this text. She said to her husband, and he did not contradict it, she said, I want to give you my, number one, appraisal of what I have beheld. He's a holy man of God. That's the only thing in the resume. One of the young preachers at our church received an invitation the other day down in Houston, and they sent him, it was nine pages, totally absent of any significant supernatural requirements. They wanted to know things like whether he had ever been tested for AIDS, how many times he had been through bankruptcy, and that just a lot of secular questions, not once. There are 20 characteristics for a preacher, according to uh, Gene Getz. You ought to read that book. Gene Getz says 20 characteristics in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 19 have to do with character. 
and only one is Art Morrow, and that's apt to teach. The rest has to do with who I am. Somebody ought to help me preach this. And you all of a sudden, you got very quiet. But the only thing that this woman observed in the text was, he's a holy. Now, before you run off on your theological thought waves, let me clear it. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. The word holy carries a full, full connotation, essentially. I'll deal with only one of them tonight, and that means to be cut. It means to be set apart for a specific and special use. If I did have time to deal with the other three, it also suggests that it's where God's presence abides with supernatural power. The reason I'm not talking about sinless perfection is because this is a holy fact. We have holy days, we have holy vessels. But there's a certain way you treat and respect with awe and veneration and reverence when it is holy. Somebody ought to pray with me. You don't treat it any kind of way when it is set apart for redemptive purposes. So she observed when this prophet, Elijah, kept passing by, she saw some evidence that he was walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. I know he came up on at the time, but you understand the application in the contemporary scene. There are several ministries of the Holy Spirit that she observed. She observed the anointing of the Spirit on his life. And one of the evidences of that is that he was certainly no respecter of person. I just don't have time to deal with the larger context. But verse 1 opens with him dealing with a very poor woman. And God met her needs through him. Now in our text he's dealing with a very prosperous woman. So he gives attention to all God's children. She recognized the anointing, but she also recognized that he had been baptized. I'm extending this. You see, there in the New Testament, there are seven times that the word baptized in the Spirit is used. Only one is an actuality. The other are prophetic. Six times, you shall be, you shall be, you shall be, you shall be. But when it says you are... It says, and you all have been baptized into the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is available, of course, for every last one of us here tonight as a called preacher. Anointed for a specific ministry, baptized into the body of believers. And then she observed evidently that the earnest of the Spirit was somewhere around. It was sort of like a down payment. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Every now and then she saw something that rose above the natural. Yes, sir. But not only did she observe evidently the earnest of the spirit, but then she con- finally concluded that evidently he was operating under the fruit of the spirit. She saw some love and joy. She saw peace and faithfulness. She saw long suffering and slow to anger. And then as he was ministering, she recognized that he was, she, he was filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
And moving on, then she said, it's something about this man. He has no doubt about his salvation, so evidently he's even sealed. I'm making the contemporary application for us in the New Testament today. Holy. I wonder what would anybody describe me as if I hang around a while. This is my 41st year of preaching. I can never remember sinning in the pulpit. This is the easiest place on earth to be holy. But as I continually pass by, somebody ought to help me here tonight. If I stay longer than being the guest preacher for a Sunday morning, she said, I've seen this brother as he comes in and as he goes out, as he goes out and as he comes in, and I perceive that he is set apart for redemptive work. Holy. Do you think the Holy Ghost is available for all of us today? Do you know that some people don't really believe that he's real? I would hate to try to preach the gospel without the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes I get off by myself in the private chamber of my own praying ground and I ask the Holy Ghost to explain this text to me. I'm flabbergasted. And when I sit down, oft times, I'm the most amazed man in the building. I sit down and I say, well, Lord, you did it again. He is real. I, I, I know I don't have the time, but I wish I could take time. Listen, Ephesians 4.30 says I can grieve him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says I can quench him. But Acts 5, 32 says I can obey him. And if I obey him, he will manifest himself to me. And others may not even know he's around. Somebody ought to hear me. God has something for us when he calls. And that's something he has for us is the comforting ministry of the Holy Ghost. He's a teacher. He's a leader. He's a guy. You don't even have to know where you're going. And he can take you where he wants you to go. She said, I perceive that he's a holy. Now, not only did she say, I perceive that he's a holy, but I perceive also, she said, my appraisal is that he's holy. But I've got to acknowledge that he's a man. She said, the thing that fascinates me about this man, preceded by holy, and incidentally, if you're walking in the Spirit's control and on a first name basis with him, you know it's difficult to call people by their first name when you don't really know them, unless you are a name dropper. But when you're on a first name basis with him, and look what his first name is, holy! He's not just the Spirit, he's Holy Spirit. 
she said he's holy but he is holy man now that's what disturbs me is because I know who and what I am as a man in my natural state I know what I am in the flesh See, there are five characteristics of the flesh, the natural man. One is, the flesh is always pious. The flesh is always proud. The flesh is always persistent. And the flesh is always persuasive. And the flesh is always profitable because I invest so much in it. What do you mean by that, preacher? Have you ever seen the flesh, the natural man, ever do anything except justify its present actions? You know, as an example, somebody on the freeway cuts you off, and they are a dumb, stupid idiot. You cut somebody off, you just happen to be in a hurry. Yeah. Somebody at your church won't follow your leadership and you say they are stubborn and obnoxious. You won't follow your denominational leadership. You say you your own man. I, I could take it further than that. All I'm trying to tell you tonight is that the flesh is pious. And she didn't see this characteristic in this brother because she described him as a holy man, not a stubborn man, not an arrogant man, not a bitter man, not a critical man, not a divisive man, not an erroneous man. Holy! But you know the flesh is not only pious, it's proud. If you're not careful, somebody's already said here tonight, Bailey got Patterson on there all the way from Houston. His preacher's right here in Dallas. He didn't have to go down there. That's, be that, that's because they are in Dallas and they are sitting in the seat of the one that's talking. Proud! If y'all get quiet on me, I'm going to think you got a problem. Dr. Martin Luther King said that the only thing man wants to do is be at the head of the parade and he's happy. The flesh is proud, but the flesh is always also persuasive. Have you ever said was something you were not going to do for the flesh? And it lasted no longer than January 1st and January 2nd, you say, I'll start next year. Because that resolution went out of the window as soon as the flesh said, Psst, it's over here. It could be a cup of coffee, it could be apple pie a la mode, or it could be more serious than that. But the flesh does not give up easily. It's proud, it's pious, it's persuasive. And it's persistent. It'll hang on in there. You'll think you're way down the road. And you'll be surprised, Al Patterson, with your own actions. And evidently she saw that this man was under the control of a higher power. So she went to her husband and said, I proceed.
And evidently, he did not blind them with diamonds and earrings. She said, I perceive that. In other words, he had not invested all of his resources in the flush. Somebody ought to help me preach. They said, we're going to build him a little chamber. And if that had been me, very likely, then my chariot would have been longer than the chamber. Oh, holy, uh, excuse me. Am I talking to somebody here tonight that the flesh has not yet been crucified? And as we continually pass by, people see how pious we are. See how proud we are. See how persistent we are in coming short of the glory of God. See how persuasive is our weakness. And then see how much we invest in the terrestrial, the earthbound, the mundane, that that never rises to the next level. No room for the supernatural. She said, I perceive that he is a holy man. The appraisal is that he's holy. The acknowledgement is that he's a man. But if they, we know anything about Bible study, there's a connective element. There is a prepositional connective element that gives clarity to the body of what I'm trying to talk about. She said, he's not just a man. He's not a man controlled by denominational precedents. He's not a man controlled by personal prejudices. He's not a man controlled by past practices. Well, what kind of man is he, Brother Patterson? Of God! He's holy. He's a man, but he's a holy man of God. You know why people love to follow a preacher after all is said and done? And my little subject today would be the bottom line. Except I want a little sub-subject that says the kind of man that they want to hang around and don't want to put out every three years or so. All they really want to know is, is he in touch with God? And if he's in touch with God, God will give him the desire for discipline to better himself academically so he can refine his tools in order to have theological perspective and Bible knowledge and communicative skills. That's all because the Holy Ghost has control of him. He's a man of God. Lest I hold you too long. What did she really see to make him conclude? Her husband didn't argue against it. So there was a conceptual consensus in the household that this brother is all right. He's holy, he's a man, but I'm God. And you know who God is. God is one in three and three in one. I can give the apostolic benediction now and give clarity to the conclusion of this little feeble message. God the Father, we focus on, didn't he love us? 
God, Jesus Christ, in grace somewhere else. The Holy Ghost is in fellowship or communion somewhere on the premise. She said, whenever Elisha was around, she said, I determined that the brother actually loves. He loves the weak. He loves the wounded. He loves the without. He loves the hopeless. He loves the helpless. He loves the hurting. He loves the harassed. The brother loves. And it's not an emotional love, she determined. He often looks beyond faults and sees needs. I sure feel like preaching this text tonight. Because a whole lot of us suffer from what Martin Luther called incavatus instanae, which is interest curved in on self. Oh, Holy Ghost. Did not God love us? Did he not look beyond our faults and saw our needs? When God looked down at me, he didn't say, ooh, I can't stand it. It was not an emotional response. He loved us unconditionally. As a matter of fact, he loved us while we were yet sinners. And she said, I detected in Elisha that he loves people. That's why I concluded he's a holy man. She said, not only did I detect that he saw, you know what love is. Love is a minimum of emotion and a maximum of evaluation of need and the meeting of that need in a spirit of self-sacrifice by doing what needs to be done even when you don't feel like doing it. And if you forget that long, unstructured sentence, just say love is nevertheless. Lord, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, for thy best good and your glory, I'll do it anyhow. That, that's what she saw in the brother. But that's not all she saw. She said, God, and you know the second person of the Godhead is Jesus Christos Kyrios. Not, not only the one that delivered us, but the one that develops us and the one that directs us. The one that causes in us grace, growth, and glory. Salvation, sanctification, and sovereign leadership. In other words, he, he not only delivers us on a hill called Calvary, he develops us in our hearts, and then he directs us on our way to heaven. He, he's Jesus who saves, of course, but he's Christ who dwells within to sanctify, and he's Lord to give directions to our future pilgrims. And look what she said. She said, in essence, to us today, grace. You, 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 I've determined it takes only two things to pastor a church well, and I'm hunking it off, I'm closing. Two things to pastor a church well. Forty years now, I'm, I'm giving ex existential examples and explanations and experience explanation from the scripture example from others and experiences out of my own life it takes two things matter of fact it takes two things to be a good parent it takes two things to be a good professor it takes two things that's a look here they are love keep 
the standard exactly where God put it. And when people miss it, grace. Let me put it another way. Mount Sinai! Don't ever lower the standards. I don't care who he is. And when he misses the standards, Calvary. Y'all are not hearing me tonight. I said, the reason I know that's the best way to deal with it is because that's how God deals with us. Look, what is grace? Grace is unlimited. Grace is unknown. Grace is undeserved. Grace is unmerited. Grace is unexplained. In other words, grace is, is whatever you have. Right, you woke up this morning. Grace. Grace not only started me on my way, it's been holding me on my way. But grace essentially is to give another chance to those of us who have blown it. Can you think of anybody that the Lord did not deal with graciously? Come here, Moses. Yeah, 40 years with a murder rap hanging over your head. Oh yeah, he when he left Egypt, he had already been convicted, and God gave him another chance. Come here, David, and David is approaching senior citizen. He's suddenly above fifty, and he got involved in extracurricular activities. But he's known today as the sweet singer of Israel. Abraham was a liar. Isn't he now the father of the faithful? You put Peter, he was a strange fella. You put Peter in a prayer meeting, he'd go to sleep. Put him in a witnessing session, he'd cuss you out. Back him up against the wall, he'd cut your ear off. Somebody ought to help me here. Y'all ought to know the brother. Yet, six weeks after he did that. God is so gracious, wrapped up in sending the Holy Spirit after the ascension of the risen Savior, descension of the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, just six weeks after cussing somebody out, cutting somebody's ear off, going to sleep. He stood up and said, ye men of Israel, hear these words, this Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracle signs and wonders whereof he did it all in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye by wicked hands have taken crucified and slain whom God has raised up and the very next verse says, and he's always before my face. Anybody listening to me? And 3,000 were saved that day. All because of the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm through now. Because there's only one more in the text. When she said he's connected with the right allegiance, she said, my focus is not on him. It's on the fact that he is a man of God. He loves the unlovable. He gives grace 
and the guilty. She said, but you ought to remember that the time is coming when the Holy Ghost is going to set up a residence. In other words, I am the dwelling place of the divine. I am the habitation of the holy. I am the abiding place of the Almighty. And she found out that Elisha would walk with them and talk with them and share fellowship with them because the Holy Spirit will walk with you. Oh, he will talk with you. Oh, he will tell you every now and then that you belong to him. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I better testify for myself. He walks with me. He talks with me. Oh, every now and then tells me that I belong to him. I know I am a child of God. I know my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh, I know my record is on high. Oh, 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 he's all right. Is there anybody that knows him? Then let the redeemed of the Lord so, if you got good religion, then show some signs. Oh! You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.